Welcome to the fifth episode of the Circular Planet podcast, in which we will discuss the scientific and technological advances that will help us adopt a circular economy to help us save our planet from the issues of climate change and waste. But first, let's briefly recap the previous episode, in which we discussed the third pillar of the circular economy, regenerating nature. We explored with our guest speakers how to transition from extraction of natural resources to the regeneration of nature, and why it is critical for the agriculture sector to lead the way. We learned from them that instead of continuously degrading our soil through agricultural practices, we can employ farming practices that increase the quality and yields of food while allowing nature to rebuild healthy soils to help fight climate change and increase biodiversity. After learning about the three principles of the circular economy, in this episode, we will explore the technologies that have been driving the transitions to this new model of growth. This innovative spirit is mostly driven by small-scale startups from all over the world that are leading the way in crafting new, amazing solutions to global challenges. So, if you're a young person listening to this podcast, there are so many exciting career opportunities in science and engineering and sustainable entrepreneurship and business that will foster the solutions the world needs to become more sustainable. Even some exciting jobs that don't even exist yet. How can we leverage the latest new innovations like 3D printing to advance sustainability? Well, let's find out. I had the chance to speak with Julia Davy, the CEO of Imaginario. Alright, so there are a lot of super new words here. So I'll take a stab at explaining what the metaverse is. It's pretty much a digital world, similar to a video game, where people can purchase items like clothing and furniture, like Ms. Davy said. Except, these metaverse items, called NFTs, only exist in the virtual world. So, what Imagineria is doing is allowing people to use 3D printers to bring their digital items into the real world. This, of course, has sustainability benefits. Imagineria is a new company, which is a startup platform. We launched uh, just in November 2021. And basically, it is a platform for 3D printable, metaverse interoperable, digital NFTs of real design products from fashion to homeware and to a broad number of uh, consumer products. And uh, for brands, Imagineria is an opportunity to start selling their products, for instance, jewelry, accessories, other products in a new category, which is uh, called 3D printed products made on demand. And also this model basically gives the end user the right to 3D print. So through taking advantage of the digital revolution, Imagineria emphasizes sustainability, which is a great example to set as many new technology companies are springing up in both new and existing industries. We turn uh, their products into the 3D printable versions because we believe that uh, in the nearest future, at least part of the product lines uh, for every brand should be 3D manufacturable because this will allow minimizing risks risks connected with the disruption of supply chains. And that will also allow humans of what we call deep sustainability, significant uh, reduction of the environmental and social impact that every brand has in their supply chain. And that uh, also opens up new opportunities for brands uh, in the digital world. For instance, one of such opportunities is the uh, 
the operational and uh, business models imaginary are a way to what we call deeper sustainability because you probably know that the most significant uh, pain points for brands are in their supply chains most brands uh, don't have control over their supply chains and uh, these uh, supply chains are uh, so long and untraceable and at the same time at the same time they create uh, massive negative environmental and social impacts. As uh, we work with digital manufacturable uh, files and which we call assets that uh, can be turned into physical products with the help of uh, digital additive manufacturing only when the end user uh, needs this product in the physical world and in, uh, in the real world. We don't need to produce extra products. We, we don't need uh, to store these products. We uh, don't need extra logistics connected uh, to all of that. And all these stages that uh, create negative environmental impact, uh, they um, can be eliminated. So as a result, we get what we call a digital delivery. When the digital product is digitally manufactured close uh, to the end user, we are so-called distributed additive manufacturing. And that allows minimize the environmental and the social impact significantly, like reduce it to like 98 and more percent of impact will be eliminated. For instance, traditionally for many products, we need to use lots of water in the production pro uh, processes. And through additive manufacturing and through the model, uh, we use the water sources and uh, the, the need for using water is eliminating uh, for more than 99%. Now, in traditional um, economy, we are taught that contributing to sustainability should be just a bonus to a, a great product. And so the, the problem that the product should solve must be something like different than sustainability and sustainability will be just a bonus. So we see this uh, massive problem with the supply chain and disruptions and we, um, we see that in the future, even in the nearest future, the probability of the supply chain disruptions is increasing due to growing of growing uncertainty, wars, other possible disasters. So the solution digital delivery is um, con contributes to actually to solving this uh, problem, to minimizing risks uh, with the supply chains and opportunity to get physical products disregarding all these uh, potential uh, negative events. And uh, we understand that digital delivery is something that our, our world will need uh, at a grander scale in the nearest future. Another technology that has fascinated some, while maybe worrying others about a robot takeover, is artificial intelligence, or AI. What exactly is AI? Well, pretty much it allows us to give computer models and systems human brain-like skills like reasoning and learning, basically making computers smarter. AI is like a partner on the team, helping to solve problems through performing skills like pattern recognition, prediction, optimization, and recommendation generation, which is based on data from videos, images, audios, numerics, and text that we expose the systems to. Okay, now that we know what it is, how can we utilize AI to advance the circular economy? Well, there are two main ways that we should discuss based on the circular economy principles that we learned in our previous episodes. Firstly, AI can help us become better circular designers. 
by facilitating the first pillar of the circular economy, designing out waste and pollution. AI computer systems can do the legwork for humans in designing products. AI systems can create products, components, and material that align with the designer's circular economy vision for their products. AI thinks more quickly than humans, so all of the data on these factors can be compared and reasoned by the computer system within seconds. It can even conjure up designs that humans would have never thought of. And who knows, maybe some of those are what will really solve the big issues. This leaves the true expertise in reviewing, tweaking, and approving to the designers. So the main point here is that AI can help us come up with circular designs quicker. And with climate change becoming an ever real challenge to the planet, it is best that we get innovative designs out as quickly as possible. An example of AI at work here is crafting vegan meat to taste as much as real meat as possible. Using specific data points, AI can think of a myriad of different flavor profiles, and it is up to food designers, as we would call them, to test and pick out the best one. So the most time-consuming step of actually finding the flavor profiles is expedited by using AI. Secondly, AI can help facilitate keeping materials in use, which is the second pillar of the circular economy. We know from our first episode that recycling now is pretty inefficient. For example, we learned that the main obstacle to recycle electronics is the actual disassembly process, which we will discuss in just a bit. Luckily, now AI is here to save the day. In the area of infrastructure, many AI solutions are focused on systems that use cameras and sensors to recognize and identify specific items at recycling centers, which can then be more quickly sorted. The AI system can then proceed with an automated disassembly process based on the properties and conditions of different materials it finds. Even before the recycling step though, AI can be used to assess the best way forward to maintain a product's usable value, whether it be reusing, reselling, or repairing, or recycling it. So to sum up, AI can facilitate the transition to a circular economy by improving the efficiency, especially the time efficiency, of designing and maintaining the value of materials in the economy. Moving back into the physical world, we've discussed the importance of materials quite comprehensively throughout this podcast series. Everything from choosing the right materials, sorting them sustainably, to keeping them in use. Products made from and by renewable resources oftentimes reach their end of life quickly, which, because of the material it is made of, contributes to environmental pollution. But new bio-based materials are seeking to change this. Bio-based materials are generally compostable and more easily recyclable than inorganic materials, like traditional plastics, so they fall within the biological cycle of the circular economy quite nicely. As we know, the fashion industry is a major contributor to the negative effects of the linear economy. In our second episode, we learned how we can design the entire production, usage, and end-of-life phases of clothing in a more sustainable way. So now, let's discuss the science part. What are some new, innovative, sustainable materials that we can use to make textiles? We know that natural fibers, such as cotton, are resource-intensive, especially water usage. Making one cotton t-shirt requires 713 gallons of water, approximately what one person drinks in two and a half years. And synthetic materials like polyester degrade very slowly and can contain harmful chemicals that are subsequently leached into the soil and water, which harms ecosystems. One way the industry is looking to reduce waste and pollution is by developing sustainable bio-based textiles. 
Two major ones that are already used by many popular brands around the world are Lyocell and Modal textiles. The largest producer of them is the Austrian company Lenzing. These textiles can be used to make clothing, footwear, and even things like sheets and pillowcases for homes. Lycocell is produced from the pulp of eucalyptus trees, and Modal is produced from the pulp of beech trees. To make these textiles, their major producers uses only the pulp of trees from sustainably managed forests. The manufacturing processes of these materials require less water than traditional fabrics and occur in a closed-loop system where almost 100% of chemical substances left over can be reused in future applications. So both of these materials are biodegradable. So on top of producing little waste in the manufacturing phase, at their very end of life phase, they also do not leave behind any harmful waste. What about using agricultural waste products like leaves and rinds to create more eco-friendly textile alternatives? Well, there are companies that do that already. We all love fruit, right? Well, what if fruit could do more than just be delicious? Pinatex is a leather-like textile made of the fiber from pineapple plant leaves, which are a food byproduct that would have otherwise been burned if it weren't for Anas Anam, the company that makes Pinatex. Pinatex has applications in fashion, accessories, and upholstery, and the material is already being used by over 1,000 brands worldwide, including H&M, which shows how excited the fashion industry is to use these new sustainable materials. And that as we've discussed in previous episodes, one industry's waste is another's treasure. Another example of material that helps combat food waste is made by the Italian company Orange Fiber, which uses citrus juice byproducts. When we make orange juice, we squeeze out all the juice of the orange, leaving behind the orange peel as waste. But they can be used to become fabric. Orange Fiber takes the cellulose found in plant cells and transforms it into fibers that are spun into yarn that is then woven into fabric. The fabric looks just like the ones made by traditional sources. You wouldn't even know it was made of organic waste. And this orange-made fabric is spreading. Recently, Orange Fiber partnered with Lensing to make lyocell fabric with wood pulp and orange fibers. So soon we may be wearing this fabric. But land isn't the only place where we can get resources to create amazing bio-based textiles. Another textile that is currently being developed is made from kelp. Yup, seaweed. A fun fact about kelp is that it is not actually a plant. Like other algae, it actually belongs to the produce kingdom. Turns out that kelp is a huge fan of the circular economy, because, according to AlgaeNet, the company behind the kelp textile, kelp is one of the fastest growing and rapidly replenishing organisms on the planet. So unlike a tree that may take years to regrow after being chopped, kelp can repopulate super quickly. In fact, kelp can grow 11 inches per day and 24 inches per day under ideal conditions. Imagine if your hair grew that fast. Let me explain why I am totally obsessed with kelp. Obviously, because kelp lives in the ocean, it does not need any extra valuable land or fresh water to grow, unlike materials like cotton. Further, kelp does not rely on any synthetic fertilizers or pesticides to grow, because it grows that fast in the ocean all on its own. Alginate also gives examples of how kelp actively regenerates nature. Firstly, it is highly efficient at sequestering carbon while helping to filter the water surrounding it. 
which improves marine life populations affected by overfishing and pollution. But unlike flimsy seaweed, algae in its textile is highly durable, but biodegrades in landfill and composting conditions. So all of those great nutrients found in seaweed will feed the soil. Alginate is especially tapping into this one-of-a-kind resource for versatile applications in the fashion industry, particularly for footwear, accessories, and clothing, and even packaging and home furnishings, which goes to show that through developing new exciting materials, we will be able to make all the things we need and love, while having a much lower environmental impact of all the phases of sourcing, production, and end of life. I'm looking forward to having shoes made from seaweed becoming the next trend. But textiles aren't the only application for algae in the circular economy. Did you know that algae, both seaweed and microalgae, are a larger contributor of oxygen than all the rainforests of the world combined? As I said, algae feeds off of carbon dioxide, making it ideal for a circular economy. Latest technology allows for pairing algal carbon capture with the ability to produce biofuel from excess algae growth, which provides a sustainable method for both reducing carbon dioxide emissions as well as generating a usable form of fuel. Algae is also used to produce beautiful colors and pigments that can be used to create dyes and inks for clothing. Researchers are also assessing the potential for using algae to create biodegradable water bottles. And algae's ability to feed on compounds in wastewater could be utilized to provide clean water to the people worldwide who do not have access to safe drinking water, which highlights how social sustainability can go hand in hand with this innovation. I could go on and on about all the ways that algae could be utilized. There's so much more to learn. Yet another way to make sustainable bio-based textiles for fashion and upholstery is from mycelium, which is the complex network of mushroom roots. Mycelium fabric not just resembles, but looks and feels like leather, which has been an appealing textile often used in handbags. Bolt Threads is one of the leading producers of mycelium fabric, which they call Milo. They grow mycelium on beds of organic matter and then tan and dye it to make the leather-like textile. Many well-known brands like Lululemon and Adidas have begun to make products that are made of Milo fabric. But mycelium's applications don't stop with textiles. A UK-based company called Biome uses mycelium to create home insulation panels. And it turns out that nature is the best insulator, because Biome's mycelium insulation panels outperform traditional panels, like those pink fluffy ones. According to Biome, due to the regenerative aspects of mycelium, their production process actually captures 16 tons of carbon per month, making it carbon negative. Apart from clothing and some of the other things we've discussed, most of us also encounter electronic devices, whether it be smartphones, laptops, TVs, and many others in our daily lives. A new company called Margic is developing multifunctional materials for electronics that are 100% organic. I had the chance to speak with the founder and CEO of Margic, Dr. Margaret Kucherga. She first explained to me the problem of electronic waste. Every household has at least three to four cell phones just laying around because you don't know what to do with it. And even if you do, most likely they're just being thrown out on the landfill instead of being recycled, reused, repurposed. One of the problems is being able to take apart actually the electronics. First of all, it's incredibly time consuming, but more often than not, especially the older types of devices, 
it would simply be too dangerous to take apart these devices because you don't know when it might explode in somebody's hands because it would have to be taken apart by hand by a human and it there is that portion of the danger associated with it. So what turns out happening is that all of these old devices are just laying out on a landfill and slowly breaking apart by either mechanical breakage or over time or the birds picking it at, at it or whatever have you. And especially the older electronics uh, employed a lot of heavy metals which are toxic to humans and the environment. And so what you can imagine happening, that electronic device decomposes, all of those metals go into the ground, into your water, and then down the food chain ends up being in your food, right? So this is why it's important to uh, tackle this problem from multiple angles. In the face of this issue, Dr. Kocherga became very interested in materials that would be sustainable without compromising on quality and reliability. Increase ability to recycle old, as well as completely transform the electronics industry towards organic materials, which we know really well how to recycle and how to handle. We have been able to do that quite successfully in a variety of ways. So instead of just only fixing the problem of recycling, we have to move away completely from using these materials to start with. So that way we are starting with organic matter that is easy to handle, that won't be very dangerous when, you, when you're trying to go back and recycle and reuse these devices. So that's the global problem. And another portion to this is the fact that to this day, a lot of these devices have elements that are either challenging to source or there's very few of them left in the mines. And if we're continuing uh, the development of the world as we do now, we'll run out of majority of these necessary materials by year 2040. And it's not that far away from us. So that's another reason why we have to rapidly shift to organic electronics in order to sustain the kind of the comfort levels that we're used to and progress uh, as a society altogether. So that's the global problem and where organic electronics need comes from. But it's not just being able to solve this sustainability problem. You actually don't have to sacrifice the quality of the devices. It's the opposite. You improve and you're able to enhance. We're already seeing the clamshell bendable cell phones. Very soon in the future, we'll have displays within windshields of the cars. So who knows, maybe in 10 years from now, we'll be able to, instead of open a laptop like a book, we might be able to just grab a little tube that would be as thin as a paper and just roll it out. Those things are not that far away from us and they're all possible with organic electronics. So by moving towards it, we're not actually sacrificing the comfort level. We are moving towards an enhancement of these devices. Dr. Kocherga explained to me how the materials she is developing work and how they are beneficial to the environment, especially through designing out waste and pollution. It is, I guess, the easiest thing to think of is you have a mold <laughs> and you have some 
Lego pieces to it, and you can assemble it as you need in order to gain the certain performance that you need. So that's the easiest way to think about these molecular platforms, is that they do take inspiration from what is currently used very commonly in the industry that is typically using a rare earth type of element in order to make the chemistry possible. And we're replacing that chemistry by using very well-known earth abundant materials and mimicking the systems in that way. So trying to take the good that we know works really well and replacing it with the abundant elements and making that chemistry work as well as combine the functionalities that are necessary in order for performance of the devices to be not only maintained, but enhanced. So by making these mobile platforms, we're able to achieve the performance that we're looking for, as well as the sustainability factor. We have tested our materials for cytotoxicity. They're not toxic to human cells. They're non-irritative. So you probably don't want to lick it, but it, to the touch, it is safe to touch, as well as even if the device breaks, there won't be any leaching of toxic heavy metals or anything like that. So that's the uniqueness of the platform. And the sort of the next step up, actually two next steps up from this technology. The first step is we're not only replacing the old materials with these new organic materials, but we're also combining some of the performance to be able to execute in one step instead of three to five steps. So therefore we'll be simplifying the manufacturing of devices and some of the costs and expenses associated with the manufacturing itself, including the CO2 emissions during the manufacturing processes as well. So it'd be much simpler, less expensive approach, and we'll be able to scale up the device's production. We're trying to uh, come up with materials that would accommodate uh, simplification of the manufacturing very directly through the fundamental materials use. What we're trying to essentially do is imagine a 20-layered cake and the flavor of it, right? We're trying to replicate that flavor with three layers. <laughs> it's quite of a challenge, right? But wouldn't that be great? You don't have to stand in your kitchen for three days trying to make that cake. You just put three layers on top of each other, bake them, and you're good. And that's exactly the approach we're trying to pursue is to enable not having to stand at the kitchen for three days long just to make your cake. And in the second step, by moving towards these materials, we can move towards a potentially even self-degradable, biodegradable type of devices, right? So let's say 20 years of laying on the field, it will just biodegrade itself just like a plant would. These environmentally friendly and sustainable materials, as well as the entire organic electronics industry, has a bright future ahead of it, featuring tons of new applications that are straight out of a sci-fi movie. Ultimately, my goal is to be able to utilize this technology in display technology, lighting, so indoor lighting, smart window technologies, as well as solar energy, organic solar energy. So this is the platforms I do see this technology being extremely useful uh, and embedded within 10-year mark. Common phone right now, 
I can't see you through it. <laughs> but there is a possibility with organic clidomane diode technology and uh, LG display actually had demonstrated a full TV that you can actually see through as the image is being demonstrated. So right now the technology is still a little bit clunky and we're just at the early stages of it, but definitely I see it within the car windshields as the best case applications for, for these types of displays where you do need that full visibility, but you would also be able to display, right? Imagine instead of having to look at your side window and sometimes you don't see a car next to you just because of the angle of where it is, you'll be able to actually see it in real life because your display would just show it to you that it's there and you won't hit the car, right? That's assuming we still drive the cars and not they don't just drive on their own. <laughs> But, which that is coming and it's the developments are pretty pretty fast in that area as well or imagine sitting in a in an airplane and instead of having the teeny tiny window being able to just see what's going on in the sky through a display completely or have kind of more of a mood nice sky opportunity just where the whole ceiling is covered and you can watch it another great application of Lightning, organic lightning diode technology is the fact that the lighting from this technology is really close to natural light. So it will not actually disturb your sleep cycle because it avoids using some of that toxic blue light and it won't be irritating. So especially I see this applicable within the hospitals, the business building where there is a lot of light on at all times. As far as solar technology goes, organic solar tech is still quite a bit behind uh, the big rigid silicon panels that are now you commonly see in the, on, on top of the roofs of the houses. But organic materials and organic solar cells would be far more applicable within something like a window technology. I mean, we have tons of windows. Look at those glass multi-story tall buildings there's so much area that's not being utilized so you'd be able to utilize that area for organic solar panel and absorb all of that light that is shining on that bright building all day long so that's where that is mostly applicable is just because you'd be able to cover large areas efficiencies that way instead of having a small highly efficient device they are as thin as literally a sheet of paper they're just so thin very flexible, very moldable. And there are tons of companies nowadays working on making them transparent and even colorless. As we know, the circular economy aims to retain the value of products or resources by putting them back into the product cycle after their initial use. We also know that a transition to renewable energy is critical to all of this. In the third episode, and early in this episode, we discussed how we can use organic waste to make physical products. But what about turning it into energy? Waste-to-energy schemes do just that. Through the process of combustion, that is, burning organic waste, this waste is converted into energy in the form of biogas. In the last episode, we discussed that food waste that is tightly compacted in landfills emits greenhouse gases. You may be thinking, but wouldn't combustion of organic waste also generate greenhouse gases? Well, yes, it does. But since the carbon in biogas comes from plants, this process is considered to be carbon-neutral, meaning that it does not add any new greenhouse gas emissions to the atmosphere. The Environmental Defense Fund says that biogas should be produced only from existing waste to have a positive impact. 
cutting down and burning a tree would not be an example of using waste. But since food waste is not going anywhere for the time being, utilizing it to generate energy gives a new, beneficial use to it, instead of letting it rot in landfills. Alright, so let's now talk about some cool technology that allows for this conversion of organic waste to energy. Let me introduce you to the Flexibuster, or the UK-based company Seed Energy. It is a simple and easy to install container that looks like a lot like a shipping container, that through the process of anaerobic digestion, in which microorganisms break down biodegradable material in the absence of oxygen, produces biogas from food waste. The biogas can be combusted to generate electricity and heat, or be processed into renewable natural gas and transportation fuels. The Flexibuster can be placed right in communities where people live to generate energy, with the idea being that energy should be produced as close to the population that will utilize it as possible. This means that the food waste does not have to be shipped off to any processing facilities to be converted into energy or taken to the landfill by carbon dioxide emitting vehicles. Plus, this solution provides a reliable and cost-effective energy source specifically for communities. On top of this, the Flexibuster employs modular design, which we discussed in our second episode. It can be easily delivered and assembled on site in just days, so it isn't a major construction project that can have negative effects on the environment, like stormwater runoff. It can also be adapted to fit the needs of the specific community that is taking advantage of the technology. Depending on the changing needs, system can be scaled up or down, and even relocated if necessary. Another system converting waste to energy is the Bioelectrochemical Treatment Technology, or BET, by the startup AquaCycle. BET comes in the form of small black boxes that are stocked atop one another in a small facility. Inside of each of these boxes is something called a microbial fuel cell, which is similar to a battery, because just like a battery, there is a cathode, the positive side, and an anode, the negative side, that are connected externally. The difference is that in the anode, there are living microbes, so how does this microbial fuel cell utilize organic waste? Well, when organic waste from the food and beverage industry, for example, flows into the fuel cell, it causes a chemical reaction with the microbes in the anode, which produces electrons that are the essential ingredient of an electrical current. The process also produces protons, which along with the electrons and oxygen in the area, combine to make water. And just like that, there's no more organic waste, just a stream of electricity and purified water which can then be reused in different applications. Some other significant outcomes of this technology are a 50% cut in greenhouse gas emissions and lower energy consumption compared to other water purification methods. Wow, so we already have the technology to lower or even eliminate waste while leaving behind cleaner renewable energy, which we know is essential to the transition to a circular economy. From the perspective of a scientist, engineer, and researcher, Dr. Kocherga shared with me what needs to be done to accelerate all of these amazing sustainable circular economy technologies. But in order for all of these great things to exist, we need a lot of companies doing the work at the same time very aggressively because we don't have a lot of time. We're years behind on this because it wasn't aggressively pursued. So the more companies that work in this area, the more research being done in this area, the higher the success will be. It usually takes for even the best technology to come on market about eight years of full development. 
and that's assuming it fully works it is possible to scale up and everything goes successfully it's eight year cycle so if we assume that the best case scenario will have sustainable technologies by year 2030 which doesn't have a whole lot of wiggle room Right. So that's why we need to encourage the more research, the more effort in this area, as well as the electrification as a whole, looking at solutions from different angles. So not only battery solutions from solar power, but also wind being one of the energy sources, heat being one of the energy sources, and utilizing all of these approaches as a sum instead of trying to eliminate one or the other. So that's that's the best way to do it at the moment and just really, really push on the more the merrier, right? The more shots of the goal, the, the faster you will get to the solution because one brain is good, but a couple hundred brains will get to it much better and faster and efficiently. And we do need very different ideas because sometimes theory sounds great and you come to do it and it's not so great. So the more variety of types of ideas, approaches to the issues of sustainability and energy conservation we have, the faster we'll get to the right solution that would work appropriately as well as effectively. So to sum all of this up, in the pursuit of creating a more sustainable circular planet, there are so many companies that are rising to the challenge with solutions like digital technologies utilizing NFTs and AI, bio-based materials, organic electronics, and waste-to-energy schemes, plus many, many more that I could just not fit into this short episode. They highlight how the three pillars of the circular economy rely on innovative thinking and technology to really make a big impact. That brings us to the end of the fifth episode of Circular Planet. I hope that you found it of interest and that you will join me in the next episode, as I will be exploring what kinds of policies can accelerate the shift to a circular economy. I would like to thank Julia Davy and Margaret Kocherga for taking the time to share their knowledge with me for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Circular Planet podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on the platform you're listening on. And be sure to come back for our next episode. Until then, see you next time. Circular Planet was researched, written, edited, and produced by Alicia Mazurkiewicz. This podcast is brought to you by Bethesda Green, a fantastic organization accelerating sustainable businesses. I am an intern as part of their Environmental Leaders Program that offers high school students the opportunity to learn about sustainability and environmental stewardship. You may find the resources I used for this podcast on the Bethesda Green website, at www.bethesdagreen.org. I hope that you enjoy the podcast.